0: Buddy, how are y'all doing? That's fine. Uh, today is week four of our Advent series. We're gonna wrap up Advent and uh, celebrate uh, Christmas. Our, our Christmas Eve service on Tuesday. Uh, but we have been kind of walking through each week different areas of the Hebrew Scriptures that talk about this one that would come, this this one that's going to solve the problems that we find ourselves living in, and we we looked at at him as the snake crusher, the one that's going to defeat death, but in the process be killed. We looked at him as the wise prophet, the one that comes with knowledge directly from God for us. Last week, we looked at him as the conquering king, the one that is going to rule the world as the prince of peace, but with a rod of iron. And today, we're going to take a look at this one as the healing servant. Uh, if you have questions about anything we've talked about throughout this series, anything I mentioned today, we're going to do a Q&R at the end of the service today, and I think Greg is going to throw up the, the slide. Um, we have an anonymous texting number that you can text a question to because I know everybody is scared to ask questions. Um, But if you have a question at any point, you can text it in and uh, Spencer and I will do our best to interact with it at the end of the service today. And that'll be up on the screen periodically. If you don't have a Bible, um, the one in the pew in front of you um, is available for you. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 53. That Bible, that's in page 650 in that Bible. Uh, if you brought a Bible with you, I don't know what page Isaiah 53 is on. Uh, my, my wife and I are working on building a house right now. Um, we're in the early stages of planning. And I've, um, I have a little bit of experience doing some remodeling stuff. I've watched a lot of episodes of this old house. Uh, Tom Silva is my hero. Uh, And, and I feel like I have a grasp of what's going on a little bit, but there's a lot of things that confuse me. And I, I went to the city of Coeur d'Alene to ask some questions. And it's very funny, the people at the city, they're very, they're very kind. Uh, But I would ask a question, and and almost in every case, the response I would get would be, well, according to Idaho Code 73146-1, and it it just kind of like flew over my head, and he had like all of this information spewing out at me, and I had no idea what he was talking about. But at the very same time, while he's speaking all of these weird words, he's reaching under the table, and he's pulling out a flyer, and the flyer's like, how to build a house for idiots in six easy steps. Because you know they get really uh, basic questions at the city about how to do things, and they're prepared for that. And, and I, I promise you, like three, on three different occasions, different city officials just reached under the desk and pulled up a different flyer to tell little old me how to get stuff done. Because I, I mean, I don't understand all of the intricacies of how it, how it works. I don't understand all the details. And what Isaiah 53 does is, in a lot of ways, Isaiah's kind of pulling that flyer out from under his desk and saying, this is how some things work that maybe you don't understand. And the text today is going to give us, I hope, a little bit of clarity. And maybe maybe you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you're newly deciding to follow Jesus. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian at all. But we have a lot of misunderstanding about different things that have to do with faith. And this morning, I want to look at three things that I think we have a misunderstanding of. And those are, I think we, we don't understand what power really looks like. We also don't understand the depth of sin. And we don't understand the love of God. So if you're in Isaiah, we're going to start in verses one through three, and we're going to talk about power because I, I don't think we understand what power is. Looks like so. Let's read verse one of Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So we've been talking about this um, this, this person that's coming, the, the snake crusher, the wise prophet, the conquering king. And Isaiah has been talking about this person, this, um, this servant of God, for several chapters now when we get to Isaiah 53. And it's, maybe it's not super clear in English, but he gives this person a title. He calls him the arm of the Lord or the arm of Yahweh. And this is a title that, that denotes power. This person that's coming, the arm of Yahweh, is a divine warrior. And you, you'd think, like, the arm of Yahweh, that's a, that's a strong title. That's a, that's a big title. And there's, a, there's this buildup for this powerful Savior. And I don't know what you think about when you think God is coming. Fire and smoke, thunder and lightning. When God shows up, what does it look like? But then I, Isaiah's going to go on and he's going to say some things that are honestly kind of disappointing. Look at the beginning of chapter, or verse two. He grew up before him. He, the arm of Yahweh, grew up before Yahweh like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He says this, this special one, this powerful one, this savior, he doesn't come from anywhere special. He kind of just comes from a desert place that you wouldn't expect. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He doesn't look the part. If, if somebody pointed to this one and said, look, here he is, you'd go, really? That's him? There's a story in, um, earlier in Israel's history where they, they're being ruled by the Lord. They're being ruled by God. And every other nation around them has a human king to lead them in battle and make laws and, and gain wealth and, and, and be their representative. And all of the Israelites are like, man, we really want a king too. And so they go pick out a king. And, and one of the, the, the first names, the, uh, their first king is named Saul. And, and one of the f- criteria that they have for the king the reason they pick Saul is he's like a head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the entire nation. That seems like kind of a weird reason to pick a king, but like, you're a tall guy, you can lead us. But he looked the part, he was strong and, and powerful and tall. I go out to Bryan Elementary on Fridays um, during my lunch hour and I play with the kids on the re- at recess. And, and if you have time during the week, uh, during the lunch hour and you wanna just do kingdom work pouring into the lives of young people, I would love to hook you up with the counselor at Bryan. Um, I go and I just, I just play with second and third graders. And uh, last week they wanted to play basketball and there was this big fight that broke out about who gets Zach on their team to play basketball. Because they think for some reason because I'm twice as tall as they are, I am a good basketball player. It didn't take long for them to realize that they were mistaken. And by the end of the game, they were arguing about who has to have Zach on their team. But that's what we think. Like, oh, you look the part. You seem like you would fit the role. And Isaiah says, this powerful Savior, the arm of Yahweh, does not fit the role that you think he should. Doesn't look the part. Verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Not only does he not look the part, he suffers. And it seems like he's weak. The people look at him and go like, what's the deal? Why, why are you letting that happen to you? Why are you suffering? Why are you so weak? This arm of Yahweh doesn't look like a winner. There's a whole branch of something that people still call Christianity that says that God wants us to look like a winner. One of the, the poster... Uh, teachers of this movement is is a guy named Joel Osteen. Many of you know him. And I was just on Facebook a couple weeks ago and listening to a clip of his. and, And he said, if, you know, God wants you to look good. He wants you to dress nice. He wants you to have a nice house. He wants you to have a nicely mowed lawn because you're a winner. And this special anointed savior he doesn't live up to that he's a disappointment to joel because he just doesn't look like a winner he looks like a loser he suffers he gets beat up on and people go what is what's the deal See, we don't really understand what real power looks like. We have this image in our mind of what leadership and power and authority is supposed to be about. And Isaiah says the arm of Yahweh, this, this divine warrior king, the power of God, he is on the scene. He has no birthplace, no obvious stature. He suffers, and he's weak. And we look at that, we look at weakness and we've been trained to run away from it, to be disgusted by it. I grew up watching a, a, a cartoon called Voltron. For some of you younger uh, younger ones, the Power Rangers would be an analog. And, and in this cartoon, the, uh, the characters drove these mechanical robots that all turned into this one giant robot. And at the very end of the episode, every episode, there would be a um, like Godzilla-like evil monster that was 100 feet tall, and Voltron would form into the giant robot and pull out his giant sword and swing it one time and cut the monster in half every single episode. I don't ever remember Voltron getting hit or falling over or anything, because we're trained that this is what power is. This guy is a winner. This is what our culture says is important. We wanna be strong, not weak. We wanna be first, not last, big, not small, rich, not poor. And Isaiah says the arm of Yahweh The power of God on earth looks very different in the way he uses power. So we don't understand what power looks like, but we also don't understand the depth of sin. Look at verse 4. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. Isaiah tells the story of this servant of God being mistreated over and over and over again, and, and not for things that he does, not for things that he deserves, but because of the sins of the people. He, he is their substitute. And in verse four, he, sa- uh, he says that he bears our sicknesses, our pains. He, he says, we are sick, We were talking in our community group last week about sin and and just kind of how it's like this soup that we swim in. We're all born into this environment where sin is just the norm and it infects us like a disease. And Isaiah says the arm of Yahweh takes that sickness onto himself and he bears it. But one thing I don't think we think about Often when we think about sin is, especially in the church, we, we talk about our sin, and that's that's a reality. But but sin is also the things that get done to us. Our sicknesses, our pains. Maybe, maybe you've been hurt by someone. Maybe you've been lied to, maybe you've been cheated, maybe you've been abused physically, emotionally, sexually. Sin has been done to you. And the arm of Yahweh takes that from you and he bears it himself, that thing that you're holding on to that you just can't quite get over. He frees you from that. Verse 5. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Sin is a sickness. Sin is something that infects us, that happens to us. But it's also it's also rebellion. It's also something that we actively participate in. Sin is a choice that we make. God's word says that we are rebels, that we're enemies of God actively choosing to fight against him. My family went and saw the new Star Wars movie a couple nights ago, and I won't tell you anything about it. But Star Wars has this theme of rebellion, and the, re- the, the rebellion doesn't just like sit in, on a planet and go like, oh, we don't like the empire, they're bad. No, it plots and it schemes and it builds armaments and it attacks. That's what rebels do, they attack their enemy. And God says that we are rebels, We actively fight against the rightful kingship of God. We attack his character. You hear people say things like, you know, the the God of the Old Testament is violent and and brutal and and, and we need to discard that. We attack his word. Oh, those, those things can't be trusted because they've been copied and copied and copied and We attack his commands. That might have worked for a previous generation, but today we've become enlightened and we know that those things don't apply to us anymore. Over and over and over again, we attack God in our sin. And if you've ever watched war movies or know anything about history, rebels get executed for treason. And this is what Isaiah says, the, the arm of Yahweh is pierced not because of his rebellion, but because of our rebellion. He's crushed because of our iniquities and he's punished to make peace, to heal us. Spoiler alert, the, the arm of Yahweh is Jesus Jesus paid the penalty of our rebellion on the cross. He was convicted as a rebel. He was convicted of treason against Rome for calling himself king. There is no king, but Caesar is what the, the crowd ch- chanted. On the cross was the label, Here is the king of the Jews. Jesus died next to two men who were insurrectionists rising up violently against Rome. Jesus died as a rebel, but not for his own rebellion, for ours. He got what we deserve. verse six, we all went astray like sheep, we all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Maybe you're uncomfortable with the idea that you're a rebel. Maybe you think, "Well, I don't I don't really actively attack God." You're definitely a wanderer. We all went astray like sheep. We wander. We had a um for many years we had a potbelly pig named Penelope. She was a wanderer. Like she would get something in her nose and she would follow it. Didn't matter where she went, she would follow that because that sounds tasty. That smells good. We had to put a fence up in our backyard or she would have just wandered off in search of whatever would satisfy her belly. We do the same thing. We're, we're proud of it. You know, we say, YOLO, you only live once. Seize the day. Follow your passion. have all of these, these sayings and, and, and quips and mantras about just, just going for whatever you feel like you should go after. And we wander. We wander away from God. We, we wander away from his purposes for our lives, for what he really wants from us, which is truly our happiness and our joy. But we smell something over there and we got to check it out. And it leads to our ruin. And Jesus, the arm of Yahweh, takes the punishment for our wandering on himself. We don't understand what power looks like. Isaiah shows us. We don't understand the depth of our sin. And Isaiah gives us a hint but we also don't understand the love of God. Let's let's jump to verse 10. Verse 10 says, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. Verses like this bother people. Um Certain um, critics of the Bible have accused God of performing uh, cosmic child abuse by sending his son to die for the sins of the world. And, and from a certain perspective, that, does, that makes sense. Like, like if I, if I wrong you and you kill your pet dog to make it better, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? But that's not what's happening here because, see, we have a Trinitarian God. Our understanding of God is that he is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one being. And the plan of God to rescue people, remember from the very first week of our Advent series, God wants kings and queens, human image bearers to rule and reign the earth alongside him. And he will see that plan through. And that plan is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together saying, we're going to go down, we're going to take care of it, we're going to pay the penalty for this sin and make it right. God isn't assigning this terrible fate of punishment and death to someone else. God is choosing this fate for himself. The father sends the son for their glory because they love. Verse 11, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. The servant rises from the dead. We didn't get into it, but in um, verses uh, 7 through 9, Isaiah talks about how the arm of Yahweh will very clearly die. He will very clearly come to the end of his life. But in verse 11, he rises from the dead. He is alive again. He takes sin on himself He takes death on himself, the things that we have to deal with, the things that we owe. He pays for it, and he conquers it by rising from the grave. And then verse 12, Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. What does he get for his troubles? What does he get for putting up with the weakness? What does he get for allowing himself to suffer? What does he get for for paying the price for our rebellion? He gets us. The New Testament says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Because the plan of God from the beginning of this book was to make right what had been broken in Genesis chapter 3. And that was to have people in perfect relationship with him. And this is what Jesus gets. I will give him the many as a portion. He gets us. He became one of us so that he could save all of us. This is the Advent story. We're celebrating the coming of Christ as a human baby. He becomes a human being to live a life like ours, to identify with us, to understand what it's like to be a human being. And then he dies for us in our place on the cross. And so this morning, I think the question for us is where, where does that leave us? If we, if we may be start to try to have a better understanding of what power looks like, if we if we try to really understand the depth of sin, and if we really begin to understand that God loves us, that all of this was done for us, that he has our best interests at heart, well, then now what? See, the beautiful thing about our faith is that we don't just follow a guru. We don't just have a teacher with some wisdom. The promise of God is that by trusting in Jesus with our lives, we get the Holy Spirit, part the third person of the Trinity itself, living inside of us. And he transforms us from the inside out into the image of Jesus. He makes us more like Jesus. We don't just read the words of Jesus, and try hard to be better at them. No, we are transformed into who Jesus is. And so when we look at Isaiah and we see weakness and suffering and love, we don't just receive that, we actually become that. We are people that are being made into the image of our Savior. So as we close, I want to read you something. This is a letter from a man named Dionysius. He was the Bishop of Alexandria. Alexandria is a city in Egypt in the year 260 AD. This is a little more than 200 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And he's a, he's a pastor. He's a pastor of pastors. He, he oversees a whole area of churches. And in 260, there is a plague that is rampaging the Roman Empire. Thousands and thousands of people are dying. And it's, it's they're terrible, painful deaths. And so the response of the cities, it was as soon as you show symptoms of the disease, you are cast out. Because it's contagious. And it's, frankly, makes a lot of sense. If you're going to get us all sick and we're all going to die, you have to leave. As a public policy move, maybe that's the right thing. But listen to what Dionysius says. Most of our brother Christians show abounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick Attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and caring for others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner a number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen, winning high commendations so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. So listen to what Dionysius says. He says, so many of his brothers and sisters in Christ saw suffering, and instead of Doing what might be the smart thing and running from the suffering to protect themselves, to protect their families, to protect their interests. They ran into the suffering and loved people. And in the process of loving people, that sickness was transferred to themselves. And many of them died. In caring for and curing for others. And I, I have to say, part of me, and maybe you're thinking this, part of me goes, well, that was stupid. But another part of me thinks, wow, that sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And at the end of the day, what do I wanna be known for? You did the smart thing, or man, you look like Jesus in the way you live your life. Now, I don't know that any of us are gonna be called to attend to plague victims. I don't know that any of us are gonna be called to seriously put our lives in danger for our faith. But if we're being made into the image of Jesus, how do, we, how do we understand power? What do we do when suffering comes? How do we, how do we love people? Can, can you look at your life? Can I look at my life and go like, my actions look like Jesus? Or do I always do things that make sense? Do I always do things that protect my interests? Do I always put myself first? This Advent season is a time of reflection. The the Son of God come to earth. We're going to talk on um, Tuesday just about the story of of his birth and and hit this weird paradox of the armies of heaven rejoicing at a child in a in a feeding trough and it's so odd but it's it's part of this understanding that i hope we have more and more and more of which is god's world is completely backwards And in general, the things that he prioritizes, the things that he pursues are just bizarre to the world outside. And we are so marinated in the world outside that we don't always see it. And so I would encourage you as we we take communion, as we sing, reflect on those areas. How are you using your power? Because you have some in some area of life. How are you viewing other people with power in the world? How do you see your sin? Are you just, are you not that bad? Or do you, do you, do you feel the weight that Jesus died for your sin? But then how do you understand the love of God? You are loved by God. Are we people that are becoming more like Christ? I hope so. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we would be people that are becoming more and more like Jesus as time goes on. We're gonna we're gonna take communion, we're gonna sing, and afterwards. Uh, If there's any questions for the Q&R, we'll we'll tackle those. So um, let's pray. And uh, the communion table is open. God, thanks for a chance to just open your word a little bit this morning. And God, hear, hear some hard things. Isaiah says some hard things about what's in store for Jesus. And in this Christmas season, it's easy to ignore that and just talk about cute baby manger Jesus and the wise men and the donkeys and the camels and whatever else we put in the shop windows. And, and that's fine. But Almighty God came to earth, humbled himself as a child, lived a life in our place, and died the death of a rebel because of what we've done. The cross is not present at Christmas, but Christmas inaugurates the journey to the cross. And God, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, as we give gifts to one another out of joy, for the love of God that we have experienced. Help us to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. Because you will have your way. You are the conquering king. You will crush the head of the serpent. And you will put a human family together to rule and reign with you in a beautiful new world. God, we thank you for the invitation to be a part of that family. I just pray that you would just remind us of these things and comfort us with these things as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.